sería como él Si yo fuera Maradona Frente a cualquier This is Jacobin Radio. I'm Susie Wiseman. Today we're going to join the world in paying tribute to Diego Maradona, the brilliant footballista who always spoke truth to power. Alan Minsky and Melissa Figueroa, producers of The People's Game, as well as this program, bring their insights and appreciation of Maradona, the soccer legend who died earlier this week at just 60 years old. And I'm going to turn over this part of the broadcast to our producers and so much more. Alan Minsky, who is also executive director of the Progressive Democrats of America and Melissa Figueroa, PhD student, writer, activist and everything else. Both of them are the hosts of the quadrennial people's game, the really incredible political look and football appreciation of that amazing game. And you can look at their podcast and listen to it at the people's game. Org. And they are going to now take it away and pay tribute and give their own analysis of the soccer legend, Diego Maradona. Diego Armando Maradona died this week. And I think it's just a very intense moment in a very intense time. Of course, there's no shortage of memes. Everybody is no doubt listening to that is familiar about how wretched a year 2020 has been. I believe Diego Maradona occupied a unique place in the world's culture, certainly since the passing of Muhammad Ali. And with his passing, I think we, the mourning that is going on around the world uh, and the tributes that are pouring in to Maradona speak as much to, you know, not just how fantastic a football player he was, which of course is part and parcel of everything relating to Maradona, but also to a time when mythological figures sort of operated in, in a way around the world that I'm not quite sure is possible today in the age of the internet, in the age of globalized capitalism. The mythology that was built up around Maradona, even though, of course, he was a tremendously public figure for actually over four decades throughout his life, he did occupy a space in which the mythology of Maradona was always parallel to the man. And I'm really happy to be joined by Melissa Figueroa today as we talk about Maradona for the Beneath the Surface audience and try to place his life in context, not only in terms of his relationship to late 20th century and 21st century capitalist spectacle, but also left and revolutionary politics, which Maradona had a populist relationship to throughout his life. So, Melissa, what did what ran through your mind and imagination when you heard the news of Maradona's passing? Well, first I thought it was a little shocking, honestly. I you know, Maradona is such a mythic figure and uh even religiously viewed in many circles, especially in the global south. You know, at first it was I, I couldn't believe someone like him could die like that. But I guess, yes, uh, he was also very human. And that was also part of his mythos, his his humanness, his sort of lack of purity, <laughs> as it were. But also, the I think the second thing that hit me after, you know, oh, I thought he was going to be immortal, was also understanding the depth of mourning that would happen throughout the global south and especially latin america for this larger than life figure who represented a kind of 
you know, in your face, middle finger to the colonial world for so long. And also, you know, in solidarity with so many of the movements of the global South, it was a kind of an isolating feeling, too, because a lot of people in the United States, if they're not tuned into international football in the way that sort of maybe a minority of us are in this country, I, I would know in the United States, and especially after trying to explain to friends also who didn't grow up with this, who don't know so much about the legacy, trying to explain what an impact that Maradona had in the global South and outside the U.S. is also kind of an interesting experience being here in the United States where, you know, the huge international emotional and political and social legacy of world football is not readily acknowledged. I mean, it's a deep, deep sadness and mourning, but also one that I don't feel like people here really understand. Yes. And I think obviously he was someone who had various, very serious health issues in his post playing career life, a lot of weight fluctuations famous struggles with addiction. But, and yet at 60, I do think this came as a shock, even though he had had recently, I believe, brain surgery, he seemed to be recovering. And again, there've been so many bouts of bad health, but I bring that up also because I think the American sports legend that he has a, the closest resemblance to in terms of a place within the culture is not Michael Jordan. It's not, if you go back further, someone like Babe Ruth, you know, two figures who were absolutely the the central figures of American spectacle sports in their eras, but another person in between those eras, Muhammad Ali. And while I do think that Maradona's political interventions were not as focused, not as pointed, and didn't have as direct a personal impact as they did with Muhammad Ali, of course, famously had his boxing title stripped because he refused to go into the draft and fight in the Vietnam War. But again, this mix of social political interventions and just transcendent performances at the highest level of sports makes really Muhammad Ali, not just in the United States, but really across the world, one of the few figures that Maradona can can be compared to. And I think at various times throughout their careers, they almost certainly were singularly the most famous person in the world. And of course, one of the oddities there with Maradona and, of course, global football culture in Maradona's era more than today even, where, you know, still I think maybe now people have heard of Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi to a greater extent within the United States and would recognize that they're the most famous athletes in the world, probably along with LeBron James, because basketball has a global audience. But Maradona held that position around the world at a time when he wasn't that well-known in the United States because football was very marginalized. Uh, And so the hegemonic power was outside of global football culture. And this also sort of maybe is not a highly significant aspect of the way in which Maradona then functioned as a rallying cry for people who oppose colonialism, European colonialism, capitalist domination. Uh, If people are unfamiliar with his various political causes that he embraced, they included Hugo Chavez's Venezuela later in his life. He had tattoos of both Che Guevara and Fidel Castro. And in, I think he said, Uh, Over just this past decade, he considers himself a member of the Palestinian people and broadly embraces that anti-colonial struggle. So, you know, he is uh, outspoken as a champion of oppressed peoples and and is even broadly 
socialist in his, um, while of course was rewarded with with a great amount of money for his playing career and later his coaching career as well. Uh, But he never really was in any way reduced to being a brand, which uh, again, I don't want to speak ill of other sports legends, but clearly this has happened by some of the leading sports figures of our time who are more muted in their political expressions. So Meridana meant all of that. And what are, what are your thoughts on Meridana the player, Mel? Well, it was interesting that you talked about Muhammad Ali because I, I feel like in their respective sports, there are a few sports where people have sort of an undisputed greatest of all time individual. And, you know, certainly in the tributes since Maradona's death, there's few people that all players of a sport would readily just off the top of their mouth say, yes, this person was the greatest of all time. I don't know much about the boxing world. There might be a few disputes on that. But especially here in football, you know, you say Maradona and they're, you know, almost every player, um, including Pelé, right, on Twitter this week was like, yes, Maradona was the greatest. I mean, his style was, uh, I remember, well, interestingly enough, because I didn't follow club football the way um, you did in my youth, but I followed the World Cup. And so my first experience of Maradona was, of course, the 1986 World Cup. I was seven years old and, you know, just seeing both the hand of God and then, you know, three minutes later, just the most amazing goal of all time ever. I mean, I was actually a Pelé fan in 1986. You know, I'd seen him do all this stuff in videos and books and videos they showed in the lead up to the World Cup. And, you know, he was the greatest player of all time. But then when I saw Maradona hit that goal, I was like, who the hell is this guy? And then over the subsequent years, you know, learning how loved he was later when I became more politically aware, finding out, you know, all the other reasons that he was loved. He's literally revered as a deity. There is a church of Maradona in Buenos Aires, I think. But when you see him play, it's just pure poetry. It's like something takes over him like a spirit and just watching his play is almost like there's really a divine quality to it in a magical realist kind of way just the way he moves the way that he you know weaves past or he wove i suppose past tense the way he wove past the players just the incredible control he had of the ball was something out of this world. And like I said, there's a reason why he's revered as a deity in some quarters. And a lot of that has to do with his unparalleled talent, especially in dribbling. You know, there's a very popular documentary right now, obviously extremely popular this week, that's on HBO platforms about Merid- that focuses on Meridona's time with the Italian Serie A club Napoli. Uh, and the drama around his time at Napoli is spectacular. It's a fantastic documentary. But I actually would recommend even beyond that for somebody, maybe after watching that documentary, try to find ESPN's 30 for 30 documentary, Meridona 86, which focuses on Meridona's on-field performances during the 1986 World Cup. Again, ESPN's 30 for 30 documentary, Meridona 86. And it's to a musical score. I want to say I think it's Wagner that they put his performances to. But you see the passion. And I'm talking about the level of like the passion of Christ level of passion. (laughs) Um, And I I do have to say, too, I saw a performance piece by 
then young Ser Anzawategi, of course, a frequent guest on the People's Game and a diehard partisan for the Argentinian national team. And they put on a performance about the 1986 World Cup that was about their childhood and their relationship with their parents. And it sort of conflated James Brown and Maradona's performance and the passion of what that meant to Argentinian people is captured in Sears' performance. Like almost nothing I've ever seen really capture what a sports triumph can mean for a people, for a young imagination, with a sense of of triumph and, and liberation and connection and solidarity. So that was something that's not accessible. You only have to take my anecdotal remembrance of that performance. But it gives you a sense of what Maradona meant to people. You know, one thing that maybe some of people in our audience don't get all of the context of of that 1986 World Cup was, of course, the political and social context that was happening at that time. 1986, of course, was right after the Malvinas War, where England had invaded Argentinian territories of the Malvinas Islands, which England called the Falklands Islands, and massacred Argentinian people and troops, which was, interestingly enough, was kind of this pointless war for PR, you know, in many ways. And so, you know, coming off of that military invasion and aggression by England on Argentina, the 86 World Cup, these factors came together in this incredible point of reclamation and pride for Argentinian people. Here we have Argentina versus England, right? So in many ways, this is like the Malvinas War being played again on a football pitch. And the first uh, goal, which was dubbed the Hand of God goal, because, you know, Maradona may or may not have used his hand. Now that we have digital video, we, we do see that the hand played a role, shall we say. But it wasn't called as such. Again, this is the time before VAR and the time before the digital replays and slow motion replays. So whatever the lineman and the referee called was what was in the official record. Neither the lineman nor the referee says that they saw it. And so it passed. And that first goal was an incredible, I mean, just, you know, looking back on those videos and hearing the roar of the crowd in Mexico City, right? This is in Latin America, seeing Argentina just kind of slip that by the English. I think it was Maradona's own quote about it to say it was like pickpocketing the English was an incredible up yours to, to the colonizers. And then after that, just the most sublime goal, one of the most sublime goals in history that was legit, you know, like legit, legit. Nobody could dispute it to shut up the naysayers and beating the English in that way, I think, specifically as a kind of payback for the Malvinas War. I think that sort of solidified that performance specifically in the hearts and minds of the Argentinians, as well as Latin America and the world, uh, the colonized world all over, where 
Military conflicts are generally overwhelming in terms of the colonizer. The football pitch is where the playing field is literally evened. And so that is the essential context to how that particular performance in the 1986 World Cup just became larger than it was, larger than football, larger than mere sport. It was about the comeuppance of the colonizer in many ways. And even at a young age, kind of began to clue me in to the incredible social and international drama that gets played out at the World Cup. And as I later found out in world football in general. It also was the redemption of Argentinian soccer from the World Cup victory that occurred eight years earlier, where the Argentines in that context were the global villains. because the Argentinian ruling class had supported a violent dictatorship that overthrew democracy in Argentina and was ruling Argentina in 1978. They were such a brutal, repressive, right-wing fascist dictatorship, famously chaining leftist revolutionary youth to each other and throwing them off of airplanes into the ocean, that it was controversial that Argentina was allowed to host the World Cup in 1978, and the great Dutch player Johan Cruyff boycotted the World Cup. And in the finals, Argentina got there through controversy, and many believe uh, basically a backroom deal with Peru that allowed them to defeat a very difficult and tough Peru side. I mean, they qualified for the World Cup at a time when very few countries qualified. Six nothing Argentina needed to defeat them, or like more than four nothing. In other words, a total blowout. It's widely believed that that was arranged by the fascist dictators to allow Argentina to go forward. And then, of course, they meet the Netherlands without Cruyff, who stayed back in Holland in the final to win. So Maradona's victory in 86 also redeems Argentinian soccer from that being their only World Cup triumph. So I got to see Diego Maradona play at Stadio Olimpico on May 25th, 1979, the time he was 18 years old. And Argentina, then the defending World Cup champions, played Italy in a friendly match that my father and I attended. I was living in Rome at the time. It was towards the end of a 15-month stretch when I lived in Italy and had played soccer in Italy and played competitively and played well in Italy. And I got to go to a game to see the, of course, one wouldn't have known at the time. We did know that they were the defending World Cup champions, uh, but the next World Cup champions as Italy would win the 1982 World Cup. And of course, in the 1982 World Cup, one of the essential victories that propelled Italy to the title was over Argentina, the team which had as its backbone the great team, and that was a great team, that won the 1978 World Cup. But their central player was a young player by 1982 called Diego Maradona. And famously, Italy put their toughest and best defender, Claudio Gentile, to man-mark Diego Maradona in that match. And Gentile said, the only way to stop Maradona is to keep him from getting the ball. Once he has the ball, you're done. <laughs> so he just was on him like flypaper. I want to go forward to the 1986 World Cup, too, and point out something, too, that I think does differentiate Diego Maradona as we bring this up to the present and try to provide a, a frame in terms of global soccer and also global soccer as capitalist spectacle from the perspective of yeah, the end of November 2020. But in 1986, Diego Maradona defeated England with two goals in the quarterfinals. And then they defeated Belgium and he scored two goals. And then they played Germany. And Argentina was ahead 2-0. Diego Maradona had not scored a goal. And in the second half, 
Germany, which was a fantastic team. They were in the finals in 1982, and they would win the World Cup in 1990. Three consecutive World Cup finals with West Germany at the time. And they came back and scored two goals and tied the game. Shortly after that, the ball comes to Maradona at almost, and you can look up the tape, folks, almost exactly the same point on the field. And on the same field itself of Stadio Azteca, where he picked up the ball against England, pirouetted, took it down the field and scored against England. A goal, by the way, which as you watch, you'll notice he never touches the ball with his right foot. So the ball comes to Maradona again. He's basically surrounded by four German players, not unlike he was surrounded by four English players. He doesn't trap the ball, do a pirouette and dribble. Exactly the opposite. A one-touch pass from his left foot, setting Barachuga free on a breakaway, scores the goal in Argentina, wins the World Cup. And I would posit that therein is why and Leo Messi is a transcendent and spectacular footballer. But the difference right there, almost in one moment, one touch. Because don't forget, everything that we're saying about Maradona right now is wrapped up in the fact that Argentina did win the World Cup in 1986. And at the end of the tournament, yes, the two goals against England can't be overstated because they, England was a great team. They got to the semifinals in 1990. It was a great generation of English players that Maradona defeated that day. But they don't win without that third goal against Germany. When a team comes back from 2 nothing and then it's 2-2, two two, all momentum is going with the team that has come back. Usually a team that's up 2 nothing does not recover in the contest if they've given up a lead in soccer. So Maradona, with one touch, shits Barachoga free. He scores the goal. And therein is such so much the difference that, to the pain of the contemporary Argentinian people, this great soccer player, Messi, has not been able to translate into World Cup glory because not only was Maradona, like Messi, a great scorer, and Messi's a great passer, no doubt, as well, but never really could the team organize in a way so that, you know, Messi and his genius, and, and let's face it, Maradona organized that team and that he could send through Barachaga with passes and goals, the complete player, the full general on the field, the general who made all the players around him better, that took on all the pressure and opened up spaces for others. And so, you know, that's who Diego Maradona was as a footballer. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I'd also say that how would Maradona, this is a question that's been very live in the media this past week, how would he fit in as a player today? And I think the sport has been globalized and corporatized to such a degree that, you know, Messi and Ronaldo, as great as they are, they're just, their singularity is, is not as marked as it was for Maradona. And also the myth of Maradona, nothing like that could rise up, the mystery that surrounds him because of all the information trading and so on. But I also think the game has become so systematized compared to what it was in the 1980s that the spectacular individuality of a player like Maradona shined much greater back then than the corporatized, globalized sport will allow any one player to shine. Yeah. So I do think uh, Maradona will stand out uh, for a long, long time, as not even the greatest player in soccer history, you know, arguably along with Pele, but above Ronaldo and Messi, as great as they are. And, you know, obviously the, the level of training and fitness of all 11 players on the pitch at all times that Ronaldo and Messi are competing against speaks to just how tremendously spectacular they are. And I will say this even going forward. I think the game is getting even more systematized and more corporatized going forward. And I do think the global football will find itself with quite a void once we're past Messi and Ronaldo, who are now in the tail end of their careers. 
sports like soccer thrive off of transcendent figures like Diego Maradona. I think it'll be a long time before we see anybody who, for all the different reasons that Mel and I are discussing right now, nobody will come close to for a long, long time. Absolutely. I think Maradona was a true artist in that sense of the term. He was, and, you know, not to say there aren't artists in global football today because there are, but he had many of the dynamics of an artist that we would think of in in the more recognized realms of artistry, shall we say. He had a singular style all his own. I mean, one of the reasons that he won so much when he did and the way that he did was almost because he defied the more systematized elements of soccer. A lot of teams that were, you know, technically very precise and very great. He exploited a lot of those openings. And as you said, he worked like a general. He was fighting wars on the pitch and he was winning them. Famously, he said, when somebody asked him about his left foot or other things, he says, no, I play soccer with my brain. And that informed so much of what you've talked about in terms of his style of play. You know, one of the things I, I did watch the HBO documentary, I actually watched it on the day he died. Just, you know, I, I just I needed to see all of it one more time. Right. And one of the things that struck me about that documentary, not knowing as well the experience of him in Italy, is how much that there was this tension, especially after winning Serie A after winning the UEFA Cup and basically doing what he had set out to do in Naples was this tension between the artistry of football and the business of football as capitalist spectacle. You know, he as an artist, he had done what he had set out to do and he was ready to explore new frontiers and he expressed his desire to leave the club. But you can tell from some of the responses from the club as well as the local mob, it looks like, and other players in that financial players in that city was, you know, he saw himself as an artist and artistry. And that was the game was all that he cared about. But to see, you know, everybody else kind of see him as an investment, right? I mean, sports is one of the realms where people kind of, it's normalized that you talk about buying and selling people, right? Um, almost like highly paid chattel, but in a weird, uh, you know, sports is one of these things that we talk about trading people and buying and selling people. And, and, and really it's, it's very open that the labor that is done in sports is a commodity and the people and the figures are commodities. Right. And so, you know, one of the things that in the people's game, when we've talked about the corporatization and the, and the financialization and all of the the capitalist interests that are in the global game, again, a lot of that is so heightened and normalized now that, as you said, it's a lot of people doubt that an artist like Maradona could exist and could shine in the way that he he is in a time when it's so commodified blatantly today. Yeah, and I also think that Maradona, if you look at the World Cup then four years later in Italy and the drama that plays out there, by that time he had won two Serie A's for a club that had never really seriously competed for championships in the post-World War II era in Napoli. Napoli, of course, Naples is a legendary city for being run by the mob. It's uh, always referred to as a pagan city. Christianity never really uh, completely wiped out the pantheistic gods of the Roman era. Of course, Naples is the town that is mythologically founded by Aeneas after the uh, Trojan War in, in Virgil's The Aeneid. And, uh, you know, and Pompeii is right 
right on the other side of Vesuvius from it. It's a very mythological place. And um, Argentina defeated the tournament favorites and the, and the home, one of the two tournament favorites with West Germany, uh, the home team Italy in the 1990 World Cup. And if you go back and you look at that match and you review that match, Diego Maradona's soul and spirit so dominates the drama that here you have this great footballing country with the dominant league in the world hosting the World Cup. And it's almost like the soul and spirit and mythology of Maradona. Again, the resonance with Muhammad Ali, but the capacity of this person. And also when you watch that ESPN 30 for 30 documentary and you see his passion, the operatic passion of his performance on the field, and also so many poetic quotes from Maradona across his career too. I mean, there's just so much soul elevation that is going on in Diego Maradona's performance. He's sharing his gift with his fans. He's sharing his gift with the world in a way that, you know, and, and, and let's let's also you know be honest, this wasn't a perfect person. And some of the utterances are, they didn't go off over well at the time and they can be clunky and he was all too human. But again, you know, when Eduardo Galeano, really a poet of the game of soccer and the history of soccer, writes about Maradona, you can actually probably go and find quotes from Maradona. Like when he was kicked out of the 1994 World Cup, it's just like they, I forget what the quote was, but it was like they had severed his legs when he first played at age 15, a week before his 16th birthday, his first professional game in Argentina, his quote is something like, the sky opened up before me that day, or as if he ascended into the sky. I mean, again, just a amazing human soul and spirit. And for somebody who played soccer too, and I did play competitive soccer and I played in Italy and I came back to the United States. I played my freshman year and soccer is a game where, you know, this is the most played and shared activity by the time of, of Maradona's celebrity as a, as a, as a soccer phenom, certainly among young men around the entire world. And to be able to do it and have a skill that stands so far beyond all of the best practitioners in the world is really some incredible accomplishment. And the genius happens in a just instantaneous way to be able to take people who guard professionally other football players and to produce such counterintuitive actions continually as Maradona does. This is a really, really charged soul and psyche. And again, I think people all over the world who, of course, plied the craft of football, watched him, there's so much projection onto a master like that. And he shared that mastery with the people of the world, and in particular with the people who are not the winners of the global capitalist, imperialist, hegemonic competition, but rather in full solidarity with the people of the world, the people who battle against oppression. So it's a real loss for humanity, and he gave so much to the world. And of course, he went through so many bouts of, of suffering and turmoil, and I think that also in many ways forged the bond even deeper that he had with people. And it's a tremendous loss. And fortunately we were blessed to have uh, Maradona with us and to um, have, have joined him in his ascendance. Absolutely. I mean, he was a child of the slums. You know, he came from the slums outside of Buenos Aires. He was uh, indigenous. He was all of the things that, you know, were looked down on, especially at the time. But it was absolutely essential. It was formative of his playing style that defeated the the best in the world, the most trained. I mean, I think here in the United States, right, we think of soccer as kind of like the AYSO, kind of what, you know, middle class people play and their soccer moms with their SUVs. 
you know, junior and in high school soccer leagues. Maradona grew up practicing with rolled up socks and rags and, you know, anything that he could find that was a ball, right? And apparently he was gifted a ball as a child and would sleep with it, you know, but that showed. And so what Maradona, I think the other thing that that he symbolized for the people of the world, especially the poor people of the world, the the black and brown people of the world, the people who, you know, I mean, I traveled in Latin America and Brazil and walked around and played on dirt pitches of all kinds. Like even in the deepest parts of the rainforest, you'll find soccer fields. He was a player that came out of that tradition. There's kind of like these two different traditions of football. There's one that was very systematized, very formalized. And then there's the the one that is played in the dirt. And he embodied that tradition that the majority of people in the global South, the way that they play. And I think that is also a big legacy that he holds. It's a it's a question of dignity, right? It's the dignity of the particular style. He was known as El Pibe, which means kind of street urchin. He played the game of the poor, and he rose to the very top of the sport above all the learned teams of Europe because he played the game of the poor. And not only that, he did it so brilliantly that it beat everybody. But it was that that style could overcome, not despite poverty, but because of it. It gives that dignity to people around the world, and it, I think, animates the spirit behind his global following. And, of course, some of the most popular Maradona videos around the world have been of him juggling a ball. And his skill at doing so is is almost unrivaled that I've ever seen. I know there are many people who can do that, and it usually doesn't in any way translate into skill on the field, which, of course, Maradona had a godlike, more than godlike capacities as well for. But it is incredible. They're fun to watch. Uh, and, and it really always captures almost like a, a boyish joy that he, he brought to the field when he is juggling. So those are always fun to watch. But again, Maradona also, and I don't know if we've, we've leaned into this enough here too, of course, was a, someone who, who spoke out for oppressed peoples around the world, he called George Bush famously a war criminal. And for all that too, he will be so sorely missed. Yeah, and he was a great friend of the leftist movements in in Latin America. I mean, people don't know. I mean, you know, everybody will talk about not just his soccer, but also his personal issues, right? His drug problem and his addiction issues. Not many people know that Cuba really saved his life. He went to Cuba and their mental health system and their health care system. He cleaned up there and he for a lifetime owed that debt to the Cuban people and the Cuban solidarity, as well as the excellent health care that they have in Cuba. And so he had a Che tattooed on his arm. He famously said, and here's the quote, Che Guevara, my Argentine hero, whom I carry tattooed on my skin and even more in my heart. He is a rebel. I am one as well. And that's why we love him. <laughs> That brings us back to 2020, the passing of Diego Maradona, the raging of the pandemic across the world. But people maybe should check out the statistics about COVID-19 in Cuba. And also, I think one, one way, one small way to celebrate the life of Diego Maradona is to uh, maybe join the cause of having Cuban doctors win the Nobel Peace Prize because they certainly deserve it. And Cuban doctors are all over the world right now helping out people in poor countries uh, contend with the global pandemic. Well, Melissa, 
until the day I die, I will carry Diego Maradona with me. He was the transcendent soccer player of my generation. He won a World Cup that I grew up dreaming that I would be participating in. And he applied a craft that I practiced for a while in my life infinitely better than I ever could. And I just honor everything about him. Absolutely. And uh, I'd like to close with this wonderful quote from Eduardo Galeano about him, which I think sums up a lot of who he was, who he continues to be, and why people all over the world love him and his legacy. And so here's a quote from Eduardo Galeano from his book, Soccer in Sun and Shadow. No one can predict the devilish tricks this inventor of surprises will dream up for the simple joy of throwing the computers off track, tricks he never repeats. He's not quick, more like a short-legged bull, but he carries the ball sewn to his foot and he's got eyes all over his body. His acrobatics light up the field. In the frigid soccer of the end of the century, which detests defeat and forbids all fun, that man was one of the few who proved that fantasy can be efficient. I think we should leave it there. Melissa Figueroa. Alan Minsky. Co-host and co-producer of The People's Game. It is an honor to be with you here today. It's an honor to be with you as well. Check us out at peoplesgame.org. And by all measure, please check out as many clips of Diego Maradona on the field and off the field as you can. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, Cosmic Kite, Diego Maradona. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Susie Wiseman. This is Jacobin Radio. Thanks to producer and director Alan Minsky and to Jacobin Radio's Micah Utrecht. Bhaskar Sunkara is the founder and editor of Jacobin Magazine. And special thanks to Robert Brenner. And thanks to you for listening. I'm Susie Wiseman. 